0: Okay. What's the difference between sorrow and self pity? Sorrow is a uh um, having uh a biblical perceptive on the world and seeing that there is like, in the case of the glory of God that things are both so the way that we um, self pity is and having sorrow that self pity is like <coughs> I'm having pity on myself because I'm not getting my way and I decided to not be terrible. Okay. Good. Sure. Yeah. Quick verse that I think ties in with what you're saying. Um, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow produces change. Short term sorrow is I feel badly that I was a jerk to my wife, but I'm going to continue to be a jerk when I feel like it because. it makes me feel better in the short term to yell at her about something because of all these other frustrations I have going on that's the self-pity I feel bad because she's crying about something I'm not alluding to like something this morning Uh, I'm just saying like like if I feel sorry for myself because I know that this other person is in pain but I never take steps so that that stops happening that's not really godly sorrow So, sorrow leads to repentance. Um, So, the goal for us is not to remove any emotional response that is perceived as a negative emotion. Sorrow, anger, those sorts of things. Even something like fear. Is fear a bad response? Not automatically. It depends on what we're afraid of. What are we fearing, right? Um, What about worry? Why is worry sinful? Okay. But if we never worry about anything, what does it also show? Possibly that we're naive and not thinking about the future at all, right? So the problem is not, the solution is not, don't worry by never thinking about the future. It's sort of like, be in a balanced tension between the sin of worry and the sin of pride because worry is i have to fix everything which i guess is connected with pride or on the other hand i can't control anything like again it's not always that we're trying to get rid of all these emotional responses it's are they properly ordered so if i see that circumstance um what do the emotions reveal about my heart one other thing connected with this. Our worship in the subcategory of music, in which we come before God in, in the church service and so forth, ought in my mind to have a mix of joy and sorrow, of anger and peace of all of these sorts of things, because if we are going to accurately reflect God's attitude toward things, we have to have those things. So, I mean, along these lines, there's been times when I've looked at a passage and I've said, there's no songs in our hymnal that fit this passage, because we tend not to sing about God's anger and God's wrath and all of these sorts of things. Or, conversely, we some of the songs about peace in our hymnal tend to be fairly superficial. I mean, is even thinking about trust and obey and if it's your favorite song, I'm not trying to to hate on your favorite song, but it has a lightheartedness to us that doesn't capture the experience of someone like Job. And so, I mean, I think uh I think this is where not that we should only sing the psalms, but I think in the psalms we see a mix of all these sorts of emotions, and so I think it's good for us to sing some of those things and other parts of Scripture as well that express ideas that are not as common. And so, you know, maybe down the road that's something where we can find some songs that fill some of those gaps. All right, moving on for sake of time to wrap up. Along with control beliefs and control values, faith also inserts new control commitments. This is the necessary relationship between faith and obedience. The biblical writer's persistent use of the imperative, you must, you ought, that sort of thing, shows clearly that their conception of faith involves commitment and choice. If you truly have faith, must your choices also change? Yeah. So sometimes, and this is where I would take issue with some of the books on, on Christian growth and where I really appreciate this book. It's not a perfect book, but it's got a lot of things, I think, that help us to think through this. I appreciate the emphasis that thinking desires and actions are one thing ultimately they're an expression of our heart these are categories that we have come up with to describe different aspects of our one self acting out one thing what is in our hearts that can line up with what pleases god or cannot line up with what pleases god but sometimes and i think with regard to the history of counseling in the the 60s and 70s, there was a strong emphasis on habit and choice and action based on passages like Ephesians 4, put off this, put on this. And that was a corrective to the psychological models or psychiatric models that basically were like, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to listen to you. You think that's a good idea? Well, then you should do that. You know? like like no directive no imperative no you ought to do this because what you're doing is wrong stop doing it and do something else that was the emphasis then so then we come further on and maybe there were people that did that in a harsh or an uncaring way so then the pendulum started to swing back over here well we want to be a little bit less directive a little bit less imperative toward people we want to appreciate their circumstances all those sorts of things the danger is if we come too far over here, what happens? We start to sympathize with people's sin and not encourage them to change because they're like, well, if I was there, I would have sinned in the same way. But we have to agree with God, right? God says it's sin. So if, if, the, if the problem over here is um, I'm not being loving enough, the problem over here is I'm not being obedient enough, and both of those are a problem, right? So the solution is not to go to either extreme. The solution is to say, there has to be change in our thinking, but there are a lot of books today that almost make it sound like if you think yourself right with God, you will be right with God, and there's action that has to come into it. There's love that has to come into it. If I, if I really love God, connected with what I know about God, then it means I'm going to do certain things, and if I don't ever do the things, then there's a breakdown in some of these other parts of what's going on. And so just like there has to be a change in what we know and think is most important, there has to be a change in what we want as most important, there has to be a change in what we do as most important. How is that written and reflected? What are some diagnostic tools? Write down how you spend your hours this week. That will reveal something about what's important to you, what you think is important, what you love, and what you're actually doing. Sometimes people say, look at how you're spending your money. The challenge with that is that there are things that are necessary that are not always um, the smallest part of our budget. Like we had to replace the roof. That was a big chunk of money. We probably spent a little bit less on missions than we, this year than we spent on replacing the roof. Does that mean that we don't value missions? No, it just meant this was something we had to deal with at this point. But our actions reveal things about our thinking, about our desires, and about what we have committed to as most important. I would encourage you to read 1 Peter 1, 13 to 19. Uh, He talks about how that ties together all the aspects of the heart's functions. The human heart only works correctly when it follows the contours of Jesus' experience. Let me read you this illustration from the last page here, and then we will move on. First of all, I'm going to unlock this door so folks can come in. I know we're going a little bit over time, but I just want us to not miss this, kind of wrapping everything up. What does this look like in contemporary human experience? Imagine a teenage girl being pressured by her boyfriend to have sex. She was raised in a Christian home and taught from scripture that this is a gift from God to be an act of intimacy in marriage. She considers herself a believer and wants to follow Christ. She also really likes her boyfriend, Johnny, especially the attention he gives her, the social circles he gives her access to, and the peace of mind she has knowing she is not single. She manages to delay the decision by avoiding situations where this would be possible and being non-committal. But she knows this cannot go on forever and she will have to make a choice. Her choice will reflect which commitments of the heart are strongest. It is not a simple matter of commitment to Jesus versus commitment to Johnny. It is all the benefits he represents to her. This is where it goes back to our discussion on idolatry, right? It's not always about the specific thing. It's about what does this idol offer me, right? Being valued, being included, not being alone. Is her commitment to her own desire for these benefits deeper than her commitment to her Redeemer? If she has true faith, she has the ability to choose to turn away from immorality because of a commitment to God's glory. Believers sin and she could give in to temptation, but the point of a transformed dynamic heart means that the righteousness of Jesus frees her from lesser commitments, lesser desires. The righteousness of Jesus can display itself in teenage feminine form, which is an interesting thing to think about, and she will be willing to part with the benefits Johnny brings. She will choose to obey. In this case, not only refusing this specific sin, but removing herself from a situation that makes provision for fleshly desires. Perhaps this seems unlikely in today's world. It is, but is that not the point of needing a righteousness from Christ? And there are many other examples that we could think of. This is just the one that was ready to go in the book I wanted to share with you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these truths together. We pray that you would help us to bring our thinking and our desires and our commitments under your control by the help of your Spirit so that we might reflect Christ and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.